before. A little disclaimer. I, and I said this before, um, this is one of the, the, the only churches that I have a long-lasting experience with. Um, I was sitting about three rows over there, about where the barbers are sitting, when I was introduced to Jesus. When I found out who Jesus was and, and how much he loved me and this God that, that would never forsake me and never leave me and loved me always, I was about here when I said I'll do anything to get that love. You tell me what it is I have to do. And they said, believe, done. Um, that's really all it is. It's simple. I was right here. I was back he- I, was, I was actually sitting about where my parents are sitting back there when my friend Nathan Wood was getting baptized. And Pastor Randy said, hey, is there anyone else that wants to be baptized? And I, like, I ran up here. I took my, I got to be honest, I don't know if I took my cell phone out of my, out of my pocket because I didn't know if I had a cell phone then. Kind of shows you how old I'm getting. Definitely took my wallet out. Probably because there wasn't any money in there. but um, So I took my wallet out. I'm, I was baptized here. And I stood just about here when I got married. This church has an has a important part in who I am. And I love the stained glass. I love getting in here in the morning. Hold on. In the evening, sorry. In the evening when the sun is coming through the windows and it's dark in here. And it, it just it lights it up in this really beautiful sort of way. I like this building, and I want to start there, because for the next 25, 30 minutes, I want to teach us that when Jesus said, I will build my church, he never meant buildings. He never meant structures. He didn't mean those things. He meant something totally different. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, your phones, Whatever it is that you use to read the word of God, we're going to open it up to Matthew chapter 16 and we're going to read what is a huge and pivotal um, section of verses that defines what we're supposed to be about. And I say this all the time, I love, I love getting to teach adults who have the actual paper Bible and you can hear the pages turn. As a, as a pastor, as a speaker, there is there's something like I don't know, it just gives you, it puts wind in your sails when you hear the pages turn because all I ever hear at youth group is, I'm like, that's too many pushes. You're definitely not at the Bible. You're definitely not at the Bible. It's okay, no judgment, right? Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Jesus was the king of asking questions. Something I want to be better at instead of trying to have all the answers to ask more questions. And Jesus asks a very pointed question to his followers. He said, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Which little rabbit trail, two minutes into my message. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen. It's who do you say that he is? All of my students, I tell all the time, it's not what your parents say that he is. It's not who I say he is. It's not who your mentor or your friends say he is. It's who do you say he is. What is his standing in your life? That's what matters. Simon Peter, one of my favorite dudes in all of scripture, mainly because he blew it over and over and over again. He got it right. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which got me thinking, no wonder he had all sorts of issues. He's Peter, he's Simon, he's Simon Peter, he's Simon Bar-Jonah. Like, dude, I had no idea what his name was. Of course he's frustrated. Jokes, you can laugh. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, which is important. God is about changing people's names and defining what your name is. And he says, you are Peter. Don't be confused anymore. You are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Real quick, the rock that he's speaking of is not St. Peter. I'm sorry for all my my Catholic brothers and sisters. The church was not built on St. Peter. His name, Peter in Greek, Petra, looks like rock, but that's not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about Peter's answer. He's saying, that's the rock, that's the foundation, that's what everything that we do from here on out is going to be built on, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the coming one, the sent one, our Savior. He's the Son of the living God. That's the rock that we move on from. That's the rock that everything in our personal lives and our corporate lives, everything should be built on top of that. And when it says the gates of hell, it has two meanings. One is talking about what the enemy wants to do to us because the enemy's goal is to make sure that we do not build the church. He wants to ruin individuals so he can ruin the corporate. But in the Greek, it's talking about Hades, which is simply the realm of death, that that death itself will not stop what God is doing. You could, I'm convinced that you could remove every Christian today, just like that. And one person would go, but what about Jesus? if, If everybody got wiped out, Jesus would build it again. Death itself, nothing, nothing will ever stop what God is doing. That should give us hope and that should give us confidence. So the word church that I will build my church is the Greek word ekklesia. Make sure to put it up there because I would not know how to spell it either. I'm a note taker and I'd be like, how do you spell that? So I put it up there for you if you're anything like me. Ekklesia. It was used in two different ways. It was talking about a civic organization that gathered for a meeting or soldiers who gathered for military training. It never referred to a place or a location. It was about the group that was meeting. It's a gathering or an assembly of people called for a specific purpose. That's ecclesia. When Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, I will build a group, a gathering of people who are called with a specific purpose. That's what he's building. Not building buildings. He's not building monuments to him. He's not building temples. Actually, he is. We'll get there. A little spoiler alert. You're the temple. This is not the temple. It's okay. But Jesus said, on this rock, on, on that truth, I'm going to build a group of people. And this group of people will advance my kingdom. This group of people will move into the rest of the world to bring my truth to all of creation. And nothing will ever stop them. So I love in the message, what, what, what we put up there on the, on the sermon bumper, that nothing will keep it out. I love that. Keep it out of where? Wherever it wants to go. Wherever this group of people or that group of people or the collective group of Christians, wherever they want to go, nothing will keep them out. 
and that denotes that we're supposed to be moving. So here's a history lesson, okay? Don't completely zone me out if you're not a history person, but if you do, I'll tell you when to come back in. AD 313, Roman Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity. Technically, he legalized all religions. He said that the freedom of religion was now acceptable, and not too long after that, he became a Christian. Which, for us, that's a great history lesson, but in that moment, in that time, you would have to understand there was nothing bigger than that. Like there was, there, you couldn't combine enough celebrities in our world to match who the emperor of Rome was. And so it became very fashionable and very cool and very chic to now be a Christian. You used, like, it, it's, it's nuts. In a matter of two, maybe three years, it went from being persecuted to now being the cool thing to do. And once it became legal and the emperor became a Christian, lots and lots of powerful men brought their ideas of what worship should look like. And almost, the only thing that they knew how to worship was the emperor of Rome. Because that's the only thing that was legal to worship before Constantine said you can worship whatever god you want. The only legal worship was the worship of the emperor, so they brought the imperial worship into the body of Christ. Things like incense, things like processionals, choirs, fancy clothing. All the things, so many things that we think of when we think of church started because the emperor of Rome became a Christian. Everyone else is like, let's, let's do this. Let's do it big. We're going to make it awesome. And they brought in all of the ways that they knew how to worship the emperor. And in the Latin, they called them basilicas. They built buildings, extravagant, beautiful buildings that you can still see today. You can go over into Rome and, and parts of Europe and still see these beautiful basilicas that they built. But the term basilica means an official meeting place. So in 350 years, about, we went from a gathering of people called for a specific purpose, an ecclesia, to a basilica, a specific meeting place. And the focus changed from the people to the church. And it continued that way for years and years and years. And I'm, I'm not going to bore you with the history, but all the dark places, all the parts of Christian history we don't like to talk about happened in this era. When the building, the church, the basilica became more important than the ecclesia, the gathering of the people. And in 1522, this young man by the name of William Tinsdale decided he was going to translate the Bible into a common language. And so he was going to translate it into English. He's going to translate it from, they had it in Greek and Latin, but he wanted to translate it into English so that everyone could understand. He also wanted to translate it into German, into French, into all these other languages. And so he started in England. He wanted to do it in England, but the, the king of England, King James, we have his Bible, um, said, no, absolutely not. You're not going to do that here. So he went to Germany, and he, he translated the Bible into English. And not long after he was done and it was published, he was arrested. He was tried for heresy, found guilty, and was executed in a very, very gruesome way, which I won't go into the details of. All because he had the nerve to add in the word elder instead of priest, 
to change the phrase do penance to repent and to change the word church to congregation. King James, when he decided to translate the Bible, the King James edition, he put out 15 edicts that said, when you translate the Bible, you have to do it this way. 14 of them make total sense. If you have a disagreement, this is how you handle it. If there's an uncommon word, try and find a more common word. There were 14 of them made total sense except number three. Number three says, you will not translate ecclesia to anything but church. Because whoever controlled the church controlled the scriptures, and whoever controlled the scriptures controlled the people. At that moment in time, the Bible was literally chained to the pulpit. No pastor ever got up and said, open your Bibles, because you did not have one. I, as the pastor, the all-knowing, all-powerful, would be the one, the only one who could properly interpret the scriptures so they needed to be here and only bad things could come if you the congregation the ecclesia had the word of god but what william tinsdale did is he changed the focus he changed the emphasis from the church the meeting place with all of its formality all of its hierarchy all of its customs and traditions and he put it back on the people He put the emphasis on the people because he understood that when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, he did not ever mean I'm going to build some buildings that y'all can meet in once a week. He didn't say pour millions and millions of dollars into these huge buildings to draw huge crowds. He said draw huge crowds. Where you meet, I don't care. But what it does is it then takes that the Sunday meeting is not the end-all, be-all. Because when we properly understand this term, when we understand that words matter, it becomes that a Tuesday morning coffee group becomes incredibly important. A Monday evening small group becomes incredibly important. A Friday night football game becomes incredibly important. And we're going to learn why. Three reasons I think this is incredibly important and what it does for us. Number one, it changes the idea of a location to a movement. J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, wrote, In every age, the church faces the danger of degrading itself from a movement to a place, from a conduit of God's mighty rushing wind to a sacred place, where we seek serene spiritual moments. The Spirit is a mighty rushing wind. Therefore, those filled with the Spirit move. They move to those in their community in need of the gospel. They move to those who are broken and in need of help. I can't say every because I'm not a theologian and I'm sure I've missed one, but every time that I see a description of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it is combined with a verb or an adjective that denotes movement. Every single time that I've seen it. John 3, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says that everyone born of the Spirit is like the wind. You do not know where it comes from. And I got to thinking, if wind is not moving, it's not wind. Which then leads me down a trail that if the church, the ecclesia, is not moving, it ceases to be 
the ecclesia that Jesus wants us to be. It's a corporate statement. How about a personal statement? 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul asked the Corinthian church this question, do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? You, personally, each and every individual who's raised their hand and said yes to Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of you and you have become a temple of that Holy Spirit. Which means that the moment I stop moving I am no longer the temple that Jesus created me to be. Jesus tells us that when we say yes to him, we become one spirit with him. And when that happens, rivers of living water flow out of us. I don't know about you guys, but, but rivers are powerful. Rivers change things. Rivers shape the, the, the land around them. Ponds, kind of boring. No one ever goes, I'm going to go on vacation, and I'm going to go to this beautiful pond. I'm going I'm to put my chair up next to this pond where the water is stagnant, and there's stuff on it, and it's green and nasty. I'm, gonna, I'm putting my feet up next to that. That's what I'm talking about. No, when we say, I'm going to go on vacation, I'm going to go to this beautiful river, no one ever thinks like, I'm gonna, ooh, I'm gonna do some adventure. I'm gonna get my canoe out and I'm gonna canoe across the pond. Big time, right? Big time adventure, like, ooh, look at, ooh, oh. But guys, that's what's happened when I say church. I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about whole church, all churches in the United States. We've become pawns. Holy Spirit in a pond. Because there's no exit. There's plenty of entrances, plenty of entrances for the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us and interact with us. This morning during worship that happened, the Holy Spirit came and invaded this space and we had some church and it was good. But if we don't understand the ecclesia that we are to move, that we are filled with the Spirit to move, if we just keep it to ourselves, we become a pond and it's stagnant. And no one wants to sit around a stagnant place. We want to sit next to something that is moving and powerful and beautiful and shapes what's around it. That's what I love in the message. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy. Energy. That when you leave on a Sunday morning, my prayer is that all you want to do is go take what happened here and make sure the entire world knows about it. Oh, forget the entire world. Let's start with a person. Pick one. I'll be honest, like, don't even pray about it. Just pick one. We'll understand why here at the end, but, but God's plan is that not any should perish. And I think we spend too much time praying about who we should talk to, and, and you should just pick one. Any person that you're not 100% sure knows Jesus, pick them, talk to them, interact with them. Because number two, second reason this is so important is it changes the idea of inviting someone to church. It changes the idea of sit with me. Because you're no longer inviting them to this building. Because when you say, hey, you should come to church with me, they say, where do you go to church? 
If I tell someone I'm a pastor at Harrisonville Community Church, there's always two statements that are made. The former Mennonite church? Yes. <laughs> two, the one out on two highway. Churches are known by their location. My prayer, my hope. Yeah, I'm a pastor at Harrisonville Community Church. Oh, the one that does this for the community. I'm a pastor at Harrisonville Community Church. Oh, the one with the people that do. Church was never, ecclesia was never intended to be about where we meet. That's a basilica. That's a kirch, which is the German word we take church from, and that simply means a ritual meeting house. The, it, it's the only place, and in the research I found, it's the only place in the New Testament where it's not a literal translation. It's a substitution. And the original reason for the substitution was for those on this stage to control you. Y'all should rise up. <laughs> but it changes the idea of inviting someone. Because Hebrews 10, 24 says, do not neglect the meeting together. Do not neglect it. Jesus wants you to meet together all the time. He doesn't want you to not attend church because it's not about this building. That's, that's the, uh, the antithesis of what I'm trying to tell you. We should meet together. And then what should we do tomorrow? We should meet together. And then what we should do Tuesday? Meet together. And then what you finally realize is that no matter where you are, you are the ecclesia. Family dinner? Church. Morning coffee? Church. Small groups? Coffee dates? Football games, fishing trips, hunting trips, your cubicle, your office. Everywhere you go is now church. So the idea of sit with me, well, I can't come to church. I can't come to a church building. I got friends. Oh, I got some friends that I, mm, if they came into a church building, they're 90% sure their skin's going to burn off. Holy things scare them. Okay? One of my friends recently went to a wedding in a church. And we were all surprised he didn't burst into flames. But what he doesn't understand is that every time he goes hunting with me, bro, you in church. I'm there. There's another believer there where two or more are gathered in my name. I am there. We are having some church. Sucker didn't even know. And sometimes we got to trick people. Okay? I was one of those. You had to trick me. Come to church? No. Church is boring. Fill old people. That's what I thought. And I came to church, I was like, hey, the music ain't bad. But what I didn't realize is that every time that I was invited over to someone's house, every time that I was invited over for dinner, they were preparing me for this church. Every time you have a conversation at work, you're preparing someone for church. Because here we go, Acts 17, 24. I did not write this, do not get mad at me. The God who made the world and everything in it, both Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me, okay? Take it up with Luke, okay? It's writer of Acts. It was Acts 17, 24. The Lord does not reside in this building. Because here's the trick. Here's the trick. Ready? 
Because if he resided here, our brains are too small to understand that he resides somewhere else. That's why when we go to camp and we think, oh, God is at this camp and he's here. Yes. Because you are. And he resides in you. Because our brains are too small for us to understand that God is here and there and here and there and there all the same at the same amount 100%, 100% of the time. So the problem is if we think that there is more Jesus here, we'll only pray here and never pray there. If we think God lives in this building, we'll only do God things here and never out there. This is not the ecclesia. You are. Everything you do is church. There's no longer sacred and secular. Everything that you do from the moment you say yes to Jesus to the time you take your last breath, everything you do is sacred. And number three, it resets our foundation corporately and individually. The cornerstone of the church, the ecclesia that Jesus would build is himself. It's his death and his resurrection. That's the foundation. And a cornerstone was the reference stone that would determine the placement of every other stone in the foundation. The cornerstone was the reference stone that would determine the placement of every other stone in the foundation. Every stone that was placed in the foundation would be level and square with the cornerstone. And ever since I've wrote that down in this here journal, God has shown me how many of my personal bricks and my foundation are not in alignment with this cornerstone. Tuesday's my day off, and uh, I decided on my own, you can hold your applause till the end, to take all the boys, I've got three boys, take all of their sheets and wash them, to take my sheets from my bed and wash them and to remake the beds. I did that on my own, people. Like, I know, I know, it's a big deal. I know, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's why husbands do things so we can get applause. And so I was making the beds again. And fitted sheets, oh, fitted sheets, people. You can't fold them. Some people can. I think that's witchcraft, I'm gonna be honest. We'll pray that out of you. So I'm putting the sheet on, and I put this corner on, and it's the underneath bunk bed, so you can't, like, you got to, like, crawl underneath, and I'm not a bendy kind of guy. My wife's the one who does yoga. I don't do that. Um, and I'm stretching this one, and that one pops off. So I calmly, because I'm a calm person, <laughs> go back, put that one on, come down here, put this one on. Yeah, I got two. Put this, pop. You know how unsatisfying it is to throw a fitted sheet at a wall? It's like throwing a Kleenex. They don't fly. There's nothing satisfying about trying to ball this thing up and throw it. Thank you for not judging me on my burst of anger at a sheet. But you all have been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I recognized in that moment I throw this sheet again, which is the most unsatisfying thing to throw like, you throw, like, a, a kid's shoe, there's some bounce to it. Like, you hear it hit the wall, like, it's, mm. um, a sheet. And I recognized my foundation is wrong. The cornerstone's correct. This one's a little off, a little off. 
So many things that I do, so many of my reactions, so many things this week, God has shown me eh, just a little off. And then other one's like, dude, bro, 90 degrees that one, okay? Like we need to pick that one up, turn it 90 and replace it. So most of them are small, but sometimes in our lives, corporately as well, we need to like, we need to tear some things down to make sure that everything that we have built is solid on the cornerstone of who Jesus is. Because every stone would be level and square with the cornerstone. Because if it's not, the building is going to fall down. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If all of your bricks are not in the right alignment, you're going to fall down. And that's the last thing anybody wants to see. And so what we have to do individually, what I have had to do this week, annoyingly as it is, is remove the drywall. Take some bricks down and measure and check everything. Because what I've come to understand is that when we don't make our foundation square, corporately and individually, we are not being who Jesus has called us to be. And if we're not being the church that Jesus called us to be, then the gates of hell have the opportunity to come against us. And come against us in a real, tangible way. Not that they can overcome us. Please don't hear that. But when we're off, we allow cracks, we allow openings, we allow things for the Holy Spirit to, not the Holy Spirit, sorry, the Holy Spirit keeps everything else. The other spirits to come in and wreak some havoc in our lives. And that's why I think this one's incredibly important both personally, individually, and corporately. As this representation of the ecclesia of Jesus, we need to make sure that everything that we have done and are doing and will continue to do is square on the cornerstone that is Jesus. A church, a church, a building, is just another organization spinning its wheels trying to make a difference, trying to do something unless they return to its original design. By tearing things down to make sure that everything that has been built is in perfect alignment with the cornerstone, unless we do that, we will not change the world. Because J.D. Greer, in, in that book, Jesus Continues, he, Jesus continued, he also said that, that the first church had no money, no power, no political persuasion, had nothing, and yet it completely turned the world upside down. A group of people that combined had nothing completely changed the face of the Roman Empire. And our world needs changing. Our world doesn't need another church. Our world needs a movement of people called for a specific purpose who love each other in this forgiving, merciful, joyful, patient, enduring sort of way. And you know what? They love me that way too. And I've never even been to their church. And we say, wait, yes, yes, you have. You met with the two of us. You had a meal at our house. We ate at your house. You're at my cubicle You've been to my ecclesia. I'm a called person called with a specific purpose and you were there. We gathered. We had church. Jesus didn't die for buildings or even for us to attend these buildings. Please keep attending this building. 
He died that we might live. To live for him, to live for each other, to live as a missionary in whatever place God has put us in. The aim of the Christian life is is not church attendance, it's turning into Jesus. Loving everyone the way he does and watching the Holy Spirit change lives. The cornerstone of our foundation, both personally and corporately, is Jesus, the unchanging, unwavering Son of God. I, we, every believer alive today must, get, must move toward the place of being able to say, not what I want, God, but your will. Your will be done. And what is his will? Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The will of God is that every ecclesia, every gathering of his people is moving towards those that are broken and in need of him because his will is that not a single person should ever perish. Not a single person person should take their last breath without reaching repentance. That is our purpose. That is the ecclesia that Jesus died for. He's not talking about a church here. This church, this church, this church here, this building will one day not be here. A future culture will excavate us and study this place and see how we did things. But what will last forever are the souls of the people we encounter in our life every single day. There's two destinations. One is in perfect connection with the love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace of God for eternity. And the other is an eternity apart from the love, the grace, the mercy, and hope of God. And everyone we want, everyone we run into will take one of those two paths. Guaranteed. Guaranteed this building, a thousand years from here, will probably not be standing. We'll excavate it and see what we did in a thousand years from now. What will remain are the people that this ecclesia, this gathering of people, this group of people called with a specific purpose, what will be standing a thousand years from now is the gates of heaven filled with the people that we have told about Jesus or the gates of hell for the people that we've ignored. That's what will stand a thousand years from now. And that's why this word is so important because we have got to pour our energy, our, our, our purpose into the people because you are the gathering. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and Jesus says you, speaking to his disciples, said you are the light of the world. Go from here this morning and have ecclesia, have church every single day with everyone that you come into contact with because you are the light of the world.